Okay, so we're about to jump into week three of our series in Philippians. And we've titled this series, uh, A Joyful Community. Because if you look at the scope of the book of Philippians, uh, the main theme that comes up over and over again is this, this idea of joy. And so we're looking at uh, a joyful community and what that means for us uh, today. So uh, when we started the series week one, we looked at how a joyful community unites around the power of the gospel. And then last week, uh, week two, we looked at a joyful community is a prayerful community. And we looked at how uh, we can see through the example of Paul, how important prayer is, but also how we ought to approach prayer to make it a, a, a constant, regular thing and a thing that fuels us in our life. So today we're going to move on a little bit more. And uh, this week is a joyful community advances through adversity. A joyful community advances through adversity. So we're going to read uh, Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 12 to 30. So a bit of work to do, but, but uh, hang in there and we'll get through this together. So verse 12 says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having been, become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance. As it was my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now is always Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. For to me is to, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Verse 27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, incredible portion of scripture. Lord, there is so much in here um, that is rich and helpful and filled with truth. And Lord, I pray that you would help me unpack this this morning. Lord, I pray that I would get out of the way so that you could flow through me and bring a message of faith, hope, love and truth to all of us here today. Lord, would you bless us? In your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever thought about 
your priorities? Like, like what is your ultimate priority in life? What would you give everything for? What's the non-negotiable? What, what would you die for? And what is it that you are actually living for? It can be such a confronting question that oftentimes many of us don't even consider or, or think about. Uh, many of us can live on autopilot and we just respond and react to circumstances in life as they happen in real time with no real sense of vision, purpose or priorities. Um, we might love God, we might love our kids and our family, or we might love our work or, or whatever it is we do, but, but do we have a clear sense of what it is we actually prioritise? Now, anecdotal story, uh, uh, earlier this year, uh, Anna and I flew to uh, Hobart to, um, to go to uh, C3 Aussie conference down there, which was awesome. And, and we arrived at the airport here in Coffs at five o'clock in the morning to catch um, a, a flight to Sydney, which would be a connecting flight to Hobart. And when we got there, we didn't realise that we were on uh, a flight with Rex, which is a, a much smaller aircraft than, say, the the Virgin flight we were connecting to that was going to take us to Hobart. And when we got to the, the front of the queue to, to check in our luggage, the, the guy at the counter said, look, there's a, there's a 17 kilo weight limit on all luggage. And we're like, oh, look, we're going through the Hobart. Is there any chance? He said, no, no, we've got a full flight. I'm not even sure that everyone's baggage is going to get on this flight. So I have to make sure that everybody sits under the regulations um, for uh, what's required on, on this flight. And I was like, oh, come on. So here we are, five o'clock in the morning. Um, uh, both of us were about three to five kilos over that 17 kilo weight limit. And, and so there we were uh, doing the walk of shame from the check-in counter back to the, the main floor of the foyer in the, the entry of the, the airport there. And our luggage is now open and spilled all over the floor. And we're pulling out what we thought we'd packed everything that we needed for this trip. We thought we had prioritised whatever we had in our wardrobes, in our home for the next seven days. We're going to be in Tasmania. We had prioritised everything that in our life that we thought we would needed for this trip. Only to be told that we had to prioritise even further because what we prioritised was an over-exaggeration what was allowed on the flight. So I'm pulling out shoes and coats and books and anything that was in there that had any sort of weight and, and so then we managed to get a, a plastic bag and then just jammed with all this stuff and, and had to call Anna's dad to come back to the airport. He must have got home by that stage, was almost tucked back into bed, had to come back at like 20 past five and collect our excess so that we could have luggage that met the baggage limit requirements. And so what we learned in that process was it showed us what we really prioritised. We thought we had prioritised for the trip, but we'd found that, no, no, we had to do some even further culling to get to what we really ultimately prioritised. And so that's, you know, again, that's anecdotal, but, but that's similar for us in life. When it comes to the gospel and, and following Jesus, we might think that, uh, that we've got what we prioritise as sorted, but, but when we filter our life through the lens, Jesus goes, hold on, no, 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 I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we can see that things that we might put value or worth on, when it comes to Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, we have to cull some excessive things in order to truly make him the way, the truth, the life in our world, and, and, and so that our life demonstrates that he really is the priority. 
Here's a couple of thoughts that we see directly from Jesus himself about priorities. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first God's way of doing things. Seek first God's standard operation procedures. Not your preferences or my preferences or our, our delights or desires or what we want to achieve. We seek first. Jesus is saying, hey, there is a 17 kilo weight limit on the kingdom of heaven and it is Jesus and seeking first him. Then everything else will be taken care of. Seek first. So Jesus is pretty big on priorities. In, in Mark chapter 12, verse 28 to 31, Jesus says this, and, and the scribes and the Pharisees came up and heard them, sorry, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing one another. And seeing that, he answered them well, asked them, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So Jesus is pretty clear on priorities. Jesus is pretty clear on saying, hey, you know, what's the most important thing? Okay, here's the most important thing. From, Jesus, from our Lord and Savior himself, the most important thing, seek first the kingdom of God. Okay, the most important commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Basically, to love God with everything that is you, your entire being, your entire self, your entire heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. And there are no other commandments greater than these. And here's what I've found. When you come to a place where you love the Lord your God, with everything that is you as a human being, when you love him with your heart and all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and then whatever's left after that, you love your neighbor as yourself, I find that there is very little room left over to make peripheral things priorities. There is very little room and energy, spiritually speaking or otherwise, for peripheral things like end times debate, vaccination debate, same-sex marriage debate, all these different things um, that are legitimate peripheral issues. But when we love the Lord our God with everything we have that is us and we love our neighbor as ourselves, then there is no possible way to have the energy left to make any of those peripheral things priorities in our life. And I think that's what goes wrong in the church sometimes is we make peripheral things a major priority in our life and we pick at them and we protest them and we become so much about these sideline issues that we forget that the main thing really is to love God with everything that we possibly have and whatever's left, love our neighbor as ourselves, And that helps put things in their rightful order. When we do that, that helps us 
fulfill what Jesus said about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then everything else in life that we're worried about falls into place and he organizes that for us. We need to take the, the hands off the control of our life and stop necessarily being these overly religious zealots and actually be obedient Christ followers to how he says uh, a disciple should live their life. So the priority in a Christian is to give themselves wholly to God And then whatever's left, give yourself wholly to your neighbor and serve them and love them as you would love and serve yourself. So in today's passage from Philippians, we see that Paul, for Paul, the advancement of the gospel or being about God's business is his number one priority. It's irrespective of whether life was going well for him or terribly, he was all about that gospel life. That was his priority. And we see in verse 12, um, that, that what has happened to him has really served to advance the gospel. Well, week one, we, we read that in Acts 16, that Paul was brutally beaten. Um, he was imprisoned and, 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 and held captive for casting out the demon of a slave girl. So what else has happened to Paul? So we see verse 12, what has happened to him is actually served to advance the gospel. We saw that what happened to him was he was beaten and put in jail. What else has happened to him? Well, when we, when we jump back into Acts chapter 21 to 28, we see a whole series of events of things that have happened to Paul. We see that he was illegally arrested in Jerusalem. We see that he was another time, um, they absolutely flogged him and beat him to a point where they intended to kill him, but they just held back and, and let, let him live. He was within an inch of his life. He was imprisoned in Caesarea for two years. All the while, uh, he had uh, you know, a bounty on his head. People were plotting his assassination. Uh, he then appealed to Caesar to be freed and was sent to Rome. On the way to Rome, um, encountered a storm on the seas. This storm was so fierce and relentless, it went for two weeks straight. All 276 people on board did not eat for this entire time, but they were engaged, because they were engaged for 24-7 uh, in fighting the storm and saving the ship. This resulted in them being shipwrecked. After two weeks of battling this storm, it, didn't like they just, it wasn't like they just entered calmly into the port. It was like, oh, we've arrived. It's like it ended tragically in a shipwreck on the island of Malta where they stayed for three months. Whilst on this island, he was bitten by a deadly viper and yet was not harmed. All the while, he's being considered and treated and trapped like a prisoner. Now, all of this didn't deter Paul from advancing the gospel. In fact, if anything, it fueled him. He knew that his life was no longer his own. We see this in 1 Corinthians 6.19 and Galatians 2.20. Therefore, his suffering in this life was not about him, and in that regard, neither were his blessings. And we'll read about that in chapter chapter 3. God was the highest priority in his life. Paul wanted what God wanted. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that challenging. To live our life in such a way that no matter what happens, we are unshaken and unmoved. Now, I'm sure he was upset at times. and He's a human like all of us. But ultimately, what we see is this persistence and this, this coming back to a prioritization that, that he wants what God wants. He is about seeking first the kingdom. He's about advancing the gospel. He's about the mission that God has put humanity on this earth to fulfill. In verse 14, it says that, um, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
So Paul's suffering and imprisonment actually served to inspire, not discourage, many church planters who established the early church, of which we are a remnant today. Now that is what I want to drum home to us today as well, to remind ourselves that we are not a disconnected church that happens to have the same religious worldview as these guys 2,000 years ago, that we are actually standing on the shoulders of these men and women that planted and built these churches all the way back then, that we are part of this remnant. And Paul's suffering, Paul's imprisonment, um, inspired hundreds and thousands of, of men and women who would plant churches all over the world that have continued to grow and flourish, that now we here in C3 Coffs Harbour in 2022 are a part of that same church, that same gospel advancement of the kingdom of God that they were about then. Um, and that's the beauty, right, is that we don't have to be discouraged by, uh, by hardship or adversity. We can actually be inspired by that and, because we know that God moves powerfully through those things. I want to talk about a man in history, a guy named Justin Martyr. Um, sounds like a great guy, right? What a beautiful name, Justin Martyr. Or, or also affectionately called Justin the Philosopher, which, fun fact, that was my rap name in the early 90s. So there you go. Um, now, he was an atheist Greek scholar and philosopher who lived in the second century. So he, he was alive from AD 100 through to 165. And after witnessing hundreds of Christians martyred for their faith at the brutal, merciless hands of the Romans. He wasn't deterred by the Christian faith. It wasn't like he saw all these people murdered mercilessly because of their faith. And he's like, oh, I want none of that. Thank you very much. In fact, the exact opposite. The faith that these men and women had, even in the midst of their martyrdom, inspired him and actually was... God used it to draw Justin the philosopher, Justin the mother, closer to him, which led to his salvation. This atheist scholar, this atheist philosopher, saw all these people getting innocently slaughtered because they had faith in God. That led him to faith in God. How crazy is that? He would then devote the rest of his life to Jesus, traveling throughout the land as a Christian apologist, proclaiming that Christianity was the true philosophy. Ironically, as his name suggests, Justin Martyr, he would be martyred by beheading for his faith. And here's a little excerpt from his court trial. So the judge in this case was a guy by the name of the, the Prefect Rusticus. What a beautiful name, the Prefect Rusticus. So the judge says to him, approach and sacrifice all of you to the gods. And Justin said, no one in his right mind gives up piety for impiety. Or in other words, nobody gives up virtue for wickedness. And the judge says, if you do not obey, if you do not bow down to the gods of this world, you will be tortured without mercy. And here's his response. Well, that is our desire, to be tortured for our Lord Jesus Christ and so be saved, for that will give us salvation and firm confidence at the more terrible universal tribunal of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Essentially what he's saying is, I would much rather be tortured and, and endure the wrath of your judgment on this earth than deny my Saviour, Lord and Jesus Christ and stand before his judgment and his wrath at the coming age. And so he would later be beheaded, along with many other Christians, for holding fast to their faith in Christ. 
Now, this kind of sounds, what happened to, to Justin Martyr, sounds a little bit like what Paul is saying in, in verse 21, where he says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And he goes on to say that my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Then he he finishes this thought with an incredibly, I guess, quote-unquote, encouraging passage in verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Oh, thanks, Paul. Thank you so much. I, I thought I signed up to this Christian thing that I might have all the riches of glory in Christ Jesus. And Paul's like, yeah, you get that. But also, if you're going to um, believe in him and share in your faith and share in your belief in Christ, well, you're going to actually share in uh, the suffering for his sake as well. Jesus also says that, you know, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you as well. Like this is ultimately what we sign up for. But remember, when we prioritize God in our life, and we love him with all of our heart, with all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength, then our suffering and our pain, whatever that might look like, is actually for his sake. In the greatest message Jesus ever preached in Matthew 5, 6 and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, he says this in chapter 5, verse 10 to 12, Blessed, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So what are some of the lessons we can learn from Paul and what he is writing here in Philippians? Well, maybe maybe there's purpose in our pain. And maybe the purpose of our pain isn't about us. Maybe the purpose of our pain is to advance the gospel and bring glory to God. Maybe our pain isn't a blockage to God using us in his kingdom, but maybe it's the pathway. We saw the jailer in week one from Acts chapter 16 converted to faith in Christ because of Paul's example in the midst of adversity, in the midst of suffering, that he was stripped naked, he was, he was ashamed and he was beaten and, and, and treated so poorly and then thrown in jail and put in shackles and imprisoned. And, and even through all of that, he praised and worshipped God. And even when the gates of the jail flung open after that earthquake, he did not move. His integrity, his faith in God in the midst of adversity still shone so bright that it led to the jailer coming to faith in Jesus. So maybe, maybe a joyful community actually advances through adversity. A joyful community advances through community. Maybe your pain, maybe your suffering, maybe the the trials you're going through in your life are not actually to put you on the bench and take you out of the game of faith, but maybe they are the very things that God will use to advance you in the game and put you on the field so that God can shine through you and that you will actually advance in your call and your, uh, the, God, the plan that God has for your life in the gospel, that you will advance through your adversity because when we prioritize God, He blesses us, He moves us forward. And what happened to Paul Right? All of his suffering, all of his hardship actually caused the gospel to advance. 
And that has happened throughout history. And we see Justin the martyr saw the, the martyrdom of hundreds of Christians before him and that led to not his rejection of God but his acceptance of God. And throughout history, we see men and women who despite their adversity set the example and set the pace for those of the coming generations to follow knowing that God is faithful. And he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion in Christ Jesus if we stay firm in him. So maybe, just maybe, a joyful community advances through adversity. So let's prioritize Jesus in all we do and watch what he does in and through us. Remember his promise from Matthew 28, 20, that he will be with us always, even till the end of this age. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this word. I thank you that whoever here today, whoever's listening to this message, God, that might be in that season of adversity, in that season of suffering or that season of pain, Lord, that they would not see their trial as something that will sideline them and take them out of their active involvement in your plan and purpose for their life, but actually, Lord, that this, this pain, this suffering, this season could actually serve to activate them in advancing the gospel, being more involved in what you have for our life. Lord, that as you suffered, you said that we will suffer also for your sake. But Lord, let us see that our suffering is not for our own um, you know, uh, pain or, or whatever, but it's actually to, to advance the gospel. It's actually for your sake. And Lord, in the midst of this, we put our faith and trust in you. We thank you that you will work all things together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purposes, Lord God. So Lord, help us to prioritize you. Help us to love you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. Help us to love others as ourselves. And Lord God, that that will help us prioritize you and your call for our life. In Jesus' name, amen.